0: of loss. This is WMNF Tampa and support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. Hurricanes, lightning, flooding and tornadoes are in effect in the state of Florida. The team of meteorologists from Florida Public Radio Emergency keep you informed around the clock. All year long they are committed to providing in-depth weather coverage both over the radio and on mobile app florida storms the florida public radio emergency network is supposed by citizens property insurance online at citizensfla.com good morning and welcome to true talk thank you frank for making this uh, interesting announcement This is your host, Samar Jarrah. Uh, Please stay tuned. You're going to be listening to a very interesting interview. I'm going to be talking to a man who went from Gaza to NASA. Listen to this wonderful music um, by an Iraqi. (laughs) I'll get you the name in a few seconds. This is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. Welcome back to True Talk. I hope you're enjoying this lovely music. I'm trying to remember the name of the Iraqi composer, which, for some weird reason, escaped me. Uh, but the name of the song is "For My Mother." I need uh, to uh, let you listen for more songs by him because I need to make sure uh, that I am connecting correctly uh, with the person I am interviewing. Uh, his name is Loay Al Basuni, but because my co-host is with, not with me, so I. I am a little bit technically uh, not so good. So this is True Talk on WMNF. I'm going to let you listen to one more song by this uh, amazing uh, Oud player. Uh, Oud uh, is the uh, Arabic instrument or uh, Middle Eastern instrument. So this is True Talk, WMNF 88.5 FM. I'm going to be right back. Welcome back to True Talk. Uh, Lu'ai is uh, on the road and uh, he will be joining us uh, shortly. But let me tell you a little bit uh, about him. Uh, He was part of the NASA team that made history in April 2021 uh, for flying the Integrity uh, helicopter. from the surface of uh, Mars. I'm not sure if, if many of you have seen that, uh, the footage uh, of it, but it was fascinating. A very tiny little uh, helicopter that uh, I think has a camera, but again, whatever landed on Mars that time uh, took footage of it, which uh, Luai will be explaining to us why this is considered uh, something uh, really um uh, uh, uh interesting let me see if he's here no. Okay not sure what I'm doing. Okay, so Luay was part of the uh, NASA team that made history, as I said, uh, in April 2021 for flying the Integrity helicopter from the surface of Mars, where uh, he was the electrical and power electronics lead on the NASA Ingenuity Mars helicopter uh, team. And of course, it was something quite uh, interesting to happen uh, for a young uh, man uh, who. Uh, Lived uh, in Gaza, but I think got his education uh, in uh, in um, in the U.S. I'm gonna take a very short break to try and see if uh, um, Loai can join us. This is True Talk on W. Oh, here it is, admit. Okay, thank God I have Loai now. Um, let me see. Good morning, Loai. Are you there?
1: Yes,
0: I'm here. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Lou. I, uh You have to. I have to apologize because my technical support. Uh, co-host is on vacation and I'm thankful that Greg at the station is with me. So I was just uh, trying to introduce you and tell the people that you are Luay uh, al uh, a Palestinian-American, and you were part of the people who made history on April 2021 for flying the Ingenuity helicopter uh, from uh, the... Um, uh, let me see, uh, from the surface of Mars. So if you can uh, unmute your mic, uh, Luai, so we can start this very interesting conversation. You and I have been trying uh, to have this conversation for the longest time, especially after uh, this successful uh, uh, mission. So uh, Luai, let me start by asking you, where were you born and how did you end up in the U.S.? I know it's a very long question, but I think you were not born in Gaza. You are originally from Gaza. Your parents are from Gaza. But I know that you were born somewhere else. So let's start from that.
1: Yes, um, I'm born in Germany. Uh, and my dad was in medical school at the time and. You know, just happened <laughs> to point there and moved to Gaza and, you know, late, you know, mid 80s, you know, uh, you know, my dad was trying to look for a job after he finished medical school and we kind of got stuck there. So. It's,
0: it's not easy for a Palestinian from Gaza to end up in Germany to start with. I mean, I'm, I feel like I have to start with your father. Like, how did uh-huh. your father manage to go to Germany and what was his uh, specialty?
1: Yeah. So my father, I mean, he's like, you know, I mean, and my role model is like, uh, I mean, he finished high school like in 19. I mean, it's like I think he had to take the last year of high school three times because it happened during 1967 war. So, but, you know, after that, you know, he just literally worked on the orange groves and, you know, trying to save money for his ticket. And, you know, he went to Germany, uh, you know, as a, you know, as a student and he was working. Uh, actually, in a train station, just like carrying bags and going to medical school, and that's when the his professor noticed he was sleeping in class all the time, and but getting almost like you know A's in every single test. And he's like, "How are you doing it?" And then my dad told him his story, and then he was actually selected for so uh, for a scholarship by the by the governor of the state, uh, you know, to help him out. And he actually finished medical school and he actually was selected to work in Germany after he finished medical school. He specializes, he's a surgeon. A
0: general surgeon?
1: Yes, he's a general surgeon.
0: Okay, so Luay, you went back, uh, I think, at a young age, maybe five to Gaza. Uh, Was it easy Mm -hmm. to adjust? And when did you start thinking of uh, like in your school were you good were you smart were you average student uh, and how did you end up in the US at a very young age
1: Yeah I mean I I mean I don't know I always was hands on uh, I'm not the, the you know I mean I don't know I, I mean I probably got the the highest grade once in my K12 in the class so but I mean always like the second or the third so You know, uh, I just, you know, didn't like studying that much.
0: (laughs) Okay, I don't feel bad now talking to you because this is how I was. (laughs) I feel... No, I mean,
1: yeah. You know, it's a conversation. I have a lot of students sometimes. It's like, you know, sometimes, you know, some of us creative, but we don't like the boring stuff. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. I always felt I understand science really simple. You know, like to me, you know, uh, so like, you know, I think schools sometimes complicate things. That's how I felt. But... You know, but I mean, since young age, since we got back from Germany, I remember we had all these like fast car, model cars, collections, uh, you, you know, like, you know, Porsche. I was like, I mean, all these like, nice, my dad was always, you know, love speed living on the Autobahn. So I've always had, you know, all these cars and I had this like, out of all these mini cars, you know, like all this racing cars. I had a model of the space shuttle, you know, because that was like the fastest thing. And I always like, one day I will fly this thing. <laughs> Oh my God! You know,
0: so, you, you were know, so. <laughs> a dreamer.
1: Yeah, I wanted to be—I literally wanted to be a. I thought it was a pilot's job. I didn't think it was an astronaut job. So for a while, I wanted to be a pilot when I was young. But I was like, figured, you know, so, you know, the fact that I'm Palestinian, and stuck in Gaza, you know, there is really no—I mean, almost no chances of getting into, you know, uh, pilot school or military school or like an air force school or, or like you know, space program. So and you kind w- of picked up on my s-
0: <laughs> sorry you went to a, a refugee uh, school in uh, Androa, i think mm-hmm. i saw a very interesting report on that so uh, it, was your father not born in gaza or like
1: so my father my father born in in 1948 and that's another really interesting story i mean he born i mean he barely survived the war uh and but he born actually in in Jabalia, So they're born as refugees. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather was born in Wadi uh, Hnan, which is south of Jaffa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so I mean, that's kind of classified as a refugee because, you know, my dad born, uh, like, you know, Beit Hanun at the time was occupied. And, so, you know, so so when he was born, he born as a refugee. So we kind of, second generation refugees basically.
0: Okay and this is how you were able to go to Underwater because my question is was your English did you take like did you study English do they teach English Uh or did you teach yourself English?
1: No so my father always provided us with all opportunities for education so I studied English I mean in school since fifth grade but that was not uh, you know I mean I never went to English school in the U.S. but uh, you know, but I studied in the British Council, so I went through. They have like twelve level of English, and I also went to the American MBDs, which is I think there's correlation between the State Department and that program. So I studied in both, you know, both American English and British English. And then when I came to school, I had I did the, the the English test exam while I was in my high school, the TOEFL, and you know, and then I you know applied for U.S. universities. I applied for so many universities in the U.S. I mean, I don't even remember. <laughs> You know, just are just sending letters to everybody at so, the
0: time. So, when did you think of uh, like not continue your education in Gaza? Because Gaza does have a lot of universities and uh, and mm-hmm. uh, sciences and medicine and. Uh, Um, Of course, sometimes it's difficult uh, to study because of intifadas or uprisings or wars, but it does have uh, good universities. When did Mm -hmm. you start thinking of, no, uh, what I want uh, is outside Gaza? And why the U.S. in particular?
1: Yeah, so I mean, my father, I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, all of us wanted to go to Germany, me and my brothers, because I mean, we felt like we were born there, so we, kind of feel we are German, even though none of us are, I mean, except my oldest brother, he became a German citizen way later. But, and, yeah, so like, you know, I kind of think thinking, go to Germany, but my father was like, no, you you have an entrepreneurial spirit, because, you know, I mean, by the age of 16, I probably had three, four companies I sold, was do business dealing. My father's like, I know you don't study hard. <laughs> you know, you're really smart, but, you know, if you go to school to Germany, probably wouldn't make it, and studying in English is much better. So he's like, I think you will do better in America. It is, you know, the land of opportunities. You know, it is the land of entrepreneurs. And I think even if you didn't finish college, at least you could start a business. And so that was really the primary reason I came to the U.S. I mean, like basically it's like, you know, studying in the English language. And also like, you know, like it is basically the land of opportunities. Uh, colleges in Gaza and universities in Gaza, like they are pretty difficult to get in because there's limited number of seats. So it was very competitive. Uh, and honestly, my father always thought like to send us overseas. He sent, like I had, my brother went to Slovakia, another brother went to Turkey and me and my youngest brother came to the U S we both went to school in Kentucky.
0: Wow. So let me just remind our listeners, they're listening to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM and I'm talking with Luay al Uh Later on, maybe I will uh, mention uh, his exact uh, spelling of the name L-O-A-Y. Uh, and uh, you can uh, go to his website. Uh, It has very interesting information uh, about him Uh, but uh, he is uh, he went all the way from Gaza uh, to NASA and soon he will tell us about it and if you want to send any questions please send them to dj at wmnf.org and I know that there are people listening online at the moment uh, via Twitter and other uh, apps so uh, you can text me uh, your uh, messages but again the email is dj at WMNF.org. Aloha, you just mentioned that you have uh, um, a business uh, sense uh, and you created four or three businesses while you were 16 in Gaza. What kind of business were you able to achieve Uh, at that young age?
1: (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I always found business opportunities. I mean, I probably started my first when I was like 10. I realized there was not that many shops because we lived in the the village, you know, in the groves. So like you know like start selling to the neighborhood kids like candies and you know around the holidays you know selling uh you know fireworks and other things <laughs> so uh i mean anything I, I, I could sell you know and then actually you know i actually started i i was like i was very artistic at the time so i actually made up a lot of clocks which is like hands, sculpt these clocks out of like uh you know cement material and Wow. You know, and, and I actually made a shot, you know, I actually showed them in one of the city, but I don't know, I guess Palestinians don't have much appreciation for art.
0: <laughs> maybe then, <laughs> maybe not, maybe the... So that's, one the of
1: my, <laughs> that's one of my failed ventures, but I okay. probably give most of them as gifts to people.
0: <laughs> but at you least know, my you, mom keep, is, you keep trying. But you started tinkering yeah. also with the electric stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, anything I would fix, you know, like, you know, radios, fix our TV, fix our plumbing, you know, uh, you know, I always was like, I used to build antennas, our antenna wouldn't work. So I used to always invent antenna out of kitchen pots, you know, and I think it would become a trend. Everybody afterwards is like have kitchen pots, you know, copied my uh, design. (laughs)
0: So you were geared towards engineering, uh, in spite of the fact that your father probably, as most Uh Palestinian fathers, they want their kids to follow in their footsteps. I'm sure he wanted you to become a doctor. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you did so when did you notice that you like the concept of engineering engineering? I ask you this because my father was an electrical and mechanical mm-hmm. and gas and water engineer, and he also studied mm-hmm. he came from Palestine to kuwait to um to uh, America and uh, you know i'm always uh, like fascinated to talk to people who like engineering, so when did you think? You start to think that this is what you're going to pursue.
1: I mean, I always loved, I figured electronics, you know, electrical was probably since a really young age. Like, you know, I mean, because I could work on a lot of different things. It was the future at the time, you know, like thinking about all the futuristic things. Uh, so I always kind of loved that. In the same time, I mean, you know, I mean, one of my other business venture actually, I actually become a fruit trader. And actually made a lot of money in one year. Oh and then my other my one of my uncle, he always called me like, you should be an agricultural engineer. My other uncle, me, you should be an electrical engineer, you know, because I could do anything. <laughs> you know, oh. I was like expert on plants. I'm expert on, you know, like, you know, by the age of 18, I probably have done more things in my life than most people do. <laughs> you know, and I also had a photography business, too. So. Oh, my God. But, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. So, oh, my gosh, you're fascinating. So, tell me, Luay, uh, how many universities rejected you? How many accepted you?
1: I mean, honestly, like most universities, I mean, I never really heard back from a lot of them. I mean, uh, you know, but it's kind of as an international student, universities usually accept you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because they want your money. <laughs> so but uh, and we actually, we our education standards pretty high, so you know. I mean, I never really had a university really like officially reject me, more like you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I came in here to go to university in Nebraska, it's called Bellevue University. Actually, I've never been to Nebraska to this day, oh, you know. And okay. uh, you know, and I just discovered somebody helped me to get, uh, you know, apply for the. You know the acceptance, and you know, I, I just discovered it's like a small trade university. I'm like, you know, I, I didn't know, you know. And then I was like, I was like, from someone of the university I was uh, sending letters to, actually, there was this professor who came to the MEDs in the in Gaza, which is the University of Pennsylvania, and they offered in state tuition for uh, international students. Uh, I mean, trying to recruit international students, and I went there for a semester, but it was really difficult. I couldn't pay for anything. It was a very small town in northern Pennsylvania, and I had I had to kind of drop out. I couldn't pay. Wow. And then I actually went back to Kentucky, where, you know, I spent my first several months just like working, making sandwiches, trying to save money so I can pay for the school because uh, my dad was helping me out a little bit, but you know, still like, you know, I mean, it's extremely expensive here, tuition, books, and, you know, the living expenses, you know, and I didn't qualify for any financial aid or scholarship, you know, or even student loans. So I had to really kind of pay for everything. So, I mean, that caused me a couple of times a lot of distress because in 2000, I had, you know, 2000, uh, 2000, like, you know, situation got a lot worse back home and my father couldn't even help me with sending part of the tuition. He's like, you're on your own. So I had to drop out again. I was at the University of Kentucky and I dropped out for a year and then I transferred. A year later, I was like, I have to I have to do what, you know, my father sent me here to do. So I felt, even though I was doing a startup at the time, I was like, I felt I have to finish my degree because, you know, I mean, it's the least I could do. You know, my dad sacrificed so much, you know, yeah, but, trying to send me money with his small salary.
0: <laughs> but the problem wasn't that you were not paying attention to your studies. The problem was financial and you had to work. So how did you manage mm-hmm. to end up only studying or you kept working and studying?
1: No, I was, yeah. In the, in the first two years, it was a little bit easier because, you know, a lot of the classes, the math, fundamental physics, chemistry, a lot of these classes we kind of took in high school. So a mm-hmm. lot of it, you know, I was kind of easy for me. I mean, I used to work 70, 80 hours, you know, 90 hours a week, Wow. I mean work my entire summer like every holiday I'd be working you know or every weekend I'll be working so you know I mean it was it wasn't easy you know I mean you know I had difficulties and then I saved I, I during the year I dropped I saved quite I saved a lot of money you know and then I decided you know when I transferred to University of Louisville at the time it's like to just actually not work at least the first semester to prove myself and I got You know, pretty much I took I took six classes, you know, about I took 19 credit hours, which is like the maximum allowed you know, to save as much money as I could. I got A's in all my classes and I applied for a scholarship, uh, like a a work study the following semester. And I also got a, a scholarship that helped me pay for the summer. So that kind of got me through the first year. And you know, and then I struggled the next year. My God, <laughs> so I had to go back to, you know, serving in a restaurant. Uh, I was like, you know, serving in a restaurant. And, you know, and I was I even like my last semester I couldn't register. I owed money to the university. And I so one of my professor actually ended up paying four hundred dollars. He used to actually get me all the books too. So Oh my god. And I finished my <laughs> finished my last semester, I got my bachelor degree and and then actually they, I ended up working with the dean's office for my master. Uh, I was actually working in the computer science department. And that's how it kind of helped me finance my master's degree.
0: And you finished <laughs> your, ma- your, what was your master, uh, or and your specialty?
1: Uh, my master's electrical uh, computer engineering.
0: Okay. And how, uh, uh, so after your master's, you started uh, looking for jobs. Was it easy for you?
1: No, so it wasn't. So I signed up for (laughs) another master.
0: (laughs) Another (laughs) master. I figured
1: I have funding from the university. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do another master of computer science. Oh, God. And I was starting that. And I'm like, you know, I didn't really finish. I took half of it. And then actually I got a job offer and I started working and... That was kind of the beginning of my working career. You okay. know, so.
0: so how did you end up uh, working and like with a company that ended up working uh, and contracting with NASA?
1: I mean, it took me quite a bit, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I worked with, I mean, with one one company, then I worked with, you know, I, I had a huge passion in college, you know, I was very active, you know, environmentalist and other things. So, you know, I kind of, uh, I don't know, took it personally with all the wars in the Middle East against against Wales. I was like, you know, we need to find an alternative.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I started working a lot of renewable energy. I started working electric cars. So that gave me a lot of special... I kind of worked as a power electronics, which is like energy conversion, which is not something I studied. I kind of self-taught myself that it is a branch in electrical engineering. And I become so good at the motor motor controllers, like electric propulsions, and, you know, worked from one EV company to another. Most of it failed. You know, and I was, like, taking under lower-paying job just to work on something I have passion for. And, you know, eventually I ended up working, like, when all this company went down, I was, I was I was in California. I found this drone company that designing this hydrogen and solar drones, and I was like, you know, I need to go work with that company. Kind of similar to electric cars, you know, and and, you know while I'm working at with them I mean a year later we get contracted by NASA selected since we have you know we are like one of the most <laughs> make the most, some of the smallest drones there is I mean we have flying you know at the time we have flying hummingbirds and we have the highest altitude flying solar drone like a solar plane oh. so and then like yeah we like you know we, we you know we had to do the helicopter you know I mean I'm I'm basically the expert in electric propulsion. Making it with the lightest possible weight, you know. I'm you gonna, know my manager.
0: I'm gonna. Yeah. Add, I'm gonna stop here, uh, Luay, and ask some uh, questions, uh, uh-huh. uh, maybe a little bit uh, technical, but so our listeners can understand uh, the. Uh, the, the, the immense importance of this idea, because some people might be listening, oh, they put a helicopter on Mars, they think, you know, it is doable. Mm-hmm. But uh, can you explain why it is extremely difficult to do that? Like, why is it, it was almost an impossible project and the company and mm-hmm. NASA kind of, uh, I don't know how many years worked on it, but it was a gamble, Why? What's the nature of Mars that is not compatible with flying a helicopter?
1: I mean, the biggest problem Mars atmosphere is about one, like less than 1%, actually 0.6% of the atmosphere on Earth. So I mean, basically, there's no air. And you make something fly, you need to basically push the air down and then that's what will give you the lift. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I mean, everybody thought it's impossible, okay? Like, I mean, the idea of flying... On Mars it probably came when people designed the first rovers. So, you know, but I think as everybody, you know, most scientists like, you know, one percent or like point you know 0.06%, you know, it's like it's kind of close to zero. So it'd be like, oh, there is no air on Mars. And you probably in the past, you know, might have people like, Oh, there's no air on Mars, you know. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not oxygen, but like, you know, there is a very small amount of air. So so but that made everybody think it is impossible. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, and, you know, so we kind of, you know, it actually was not fully funded initially. We just like, you know, it was like partially funded project mm-hmm. just to prove the concept of is it even feasible? So we did the feasibility study. And actually we got, that's what we got the NASA award for is for the feasibility study we have done. And we proved that every step we had to like wait to get funding again. And wow. and you probably can look up at the records. I mean, a lot of people, including, you know, I mean, NASA, you know, probably didn't approve the helicopter to go to Mars until 20, 2019, you know, which is like way after. Because we kind of, a lot of people didn't believe it would happen. Some people thought it was a waste of time. And so we had to, you know.
0: So we the took whole it very close The whole time uh, you and uh, I'm sure there is a team with you and a group the whole time you were tr- trying to figure out how to get this little uh, drone or little helicopter to fly all uh, mm-hmm. all your research is revolving around it.
1: Yes. Yes, I mean like all our design like we had to come up with estimate figuring out well, how can we make it and then we like came up with the study and we estimated like if we do it this way and this way and we have to take this risk. I mean, there's so much risk we took. I mean, we used a lot of earth-rated electronics to keep the weight light. Uh, we didn't really meet all the requirements of Dynasa because you know, otherwise it wouldn't never flown. You know, so I mean, we had to do a lot of like, like really like, like you know, I'm not gonna say to every single gram. I mean, mm-hmm. we were like calculating things to so like 0. 0.1 gram. You know, it's oh like, gosh. you know, like we had to like we ex- like knew. Ex- I mean, the whole helicopter. I mean, the helicopters are both. A little bit bigger than three feet uh plate from side to side, mm-hmm. and it weight less than your laptop I mean it's like you know it's about four pounds, so you know I mean <laughs> wow. it's just you know i mean <laughs> I mean even all laptop is heavier than it, and it's like you know i mean it, it is did it it did, is like a bit,
0: uh, mm-hmm. did it have a camera or or the rover
1: no have two cameras It have a color camera just for you know, for pictures sent to us and it has actually a black and white cameras used for navigation. It, you know, I mean, it's a fully autonomous, uh, you know, uh, it's like basically it's a robot, you know. Okay. I mean, it's a fully autonomous like drone that fly by itself because you cannot control it real time. I mean, it take us about wow. close to four hours just to get, you know, the data back and send the data to the helicopter.
0: So there was like a program uh, telling it to go right, go left, go up, go down.
1: Yeah. Excuse basically my I mean. uh, my mean,
0: limited, <laughs> the, please excuse my yeah, limited I mean, knowledge. Yeah, you don't
1: even tell it to go up and down. You will program and say, I want you to go from point A to point B. And, you know, during going from point A to point B, I want you to fly at 12 feet okay. of altitude or 15 feet of altitude. You tell it everything, like, and you, like, have no interference. The funny thing is, like, like in the last month, I mean, like, the last flight, like, the helicopter went dark for, like, 61 days. And and that was, like, after flight 51 and the flight 52. So, like, we didn't know for 61 days that the mission was, like, wow. flight 52 was accomplished, you know, which is kind of crazy to think about, you know, because, like, you know, I mean, I mean, the helicopter way overachieved its goal because originally it was supposed to only fly for a month and five flights. And now we're, like... Fifty-two flights, you know. I mean, we above ten x of the original goal.
0: What's what's uh, what's keeping it running? Is there a like a lifelong battery or?
1: How? Oh, so it actually, it actually, it is a solar. Um, oh, okay. The helicopter has a solar panel; it basically charge itself, and at not, you know, uh, during the day, and you have to keep itself warm, so use some of that energy to stay warm. And, and then, you know, and then it's like a fly and like once every while, I mean, the biggest limitation to it even flying more is actually budget because the original budget for the helicopter was only budgeted for one month and now, Mm -hmm. but it's like part of the, the, the rover budget, you know, they make it, they fly it because actually it does provide a lot of data that help the rover in navigating the Mars surface.
0: Okay, let me just remind our listeners that this is true talk on WMNF and I'm talking to uh, Luay Al-Basuni who is an American-Palestinian who had a very inspiring journey uh, moving from uh, from Gaza to NASA, as the media would like to mention, but he was part of the engineers uh, responsible for uh, the flying of the first helicopter on the surface of uh, Mars. I'm not sure if there was anything done uh, on uh, on the moon, but I think uh, Mars. Uh, but uh, uh, Luay, uh, I'm curious to know, let's say okay uh, you all of you tested it and you're ready to go um how did this happen like you well, you all went to nasa and took yeah, this yeah i mean tell us a little so bit I mean,
1: so in the beginning we had to like build this very small this is when i first time was involved on it like we built this almost look like a toy like very small to, like to demonstrate that we could fly in a Mars atmosphere. Say uh, at JPL, NASA, they have a chamber. It's called the Mars Atmosphere Chamber, which basically simulate the Mars atmosphere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we basically went there and, we, you know, part of the of time, tried to hand control it. But it actually, it was able to lift off, but it kept crashing. And we we're like, oh, we can create wow. lift. So we just have to figure a way. And then we spent time to build the first prototype. So we only built total three helicopter. Number three is actually on Mars. You know,
0: wow. You know,
1: so it's like it's not like we did a lot of trial and error. We had to do everything precisely, calculate every single thing. Uh, I mean, unlike any other engineering program I worked on, it's like sometimes you know you are like a prototype ten, and you still don't have something functional. I mean, the helicopter on Mars is like basically the third ever built. (laughs) You know, so
0: so uh, okay. Now uh, you are waiting. It was launched. Uh, How was it launched? With from? I mean, it
1: was launched, like, you know, from, you know, basically on the rocket. was okay. sitting in the belly of the rover. Uh, okay. And, you know, okay. the rover just ended on the Mars surface. Yeah. And
0: it's you were just, watching, uh, all of you were watching live, and you have no idea if it will actually fly or not, or crash. No, or,
1: I mean, you know, like, two minutes before it flew, I mean, like, it's already, like, we had the third, fourth cancellation of its oh. first flight. And my friends send me jokes. I mean, I'm talking to my friends, like, you know, guys, PhD guys, you know, like making a joke. It's like, it will never fly.
0: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> you know, I was like, and then it's like, oh, they're going to blame it on you.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. The Palestinian guy from Gaza <laughs> is behind this. So, uh, okay, uh, because I saw that on YouTube and it, and it was like amazing. So, uh, okay, the rover is there and uh mm-hmm. when did you all figure out because you said what there is a delay of 3 hours or 4 hours because before yeah. you actually mm-hmm. know it happened
1: yes so like you basically send the send the command then you know i mean about you know 4 hours later the helicopter will fly and then you know 4 hours later you get the data so. and you know so and the <laughs> yeah, data and we were waiting and yeah. the
0: data was with the movie with a because the rover had the camera.
1: So honestly, when we when we I was watching it. I mean, the first thing we got like we get the slow because you could just bet data and then you have to put it together. Uh-huh. So we kind of we're looking at the number and it said the altimeter said three meter. You know, so it's like oh, it's like we think that means it flew. You know, and then like oh, okay. you know thirty forty minutes later, so we're like kind of celebrating, but it's not the same as actually seeing the picture oh from God. the rover capture it flying. I mean, I think when I, when that video came, I was like, I was screaming. It was like 4 a.m. in L.A. and I was like shouting in the middle of the night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was, it,
0: was it live or this was captured and later put on YouTube? Yeah, I mean,
1: it, it I mean, I live it. life for Mars. It means four-hour delay. <laughs>
0: oh, I, I mean, yeah. The uh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, tell me about your uh, father. He forgave you finally for not becoming a doctor after. Like, how how did he and the family feel uh, in Gaza?
1: I mean, they're. I mean, incredibly happy. I mean, my dad is like is so proud. <laughs> uh i mean it's uh was
0: there a party I mean, because I don't, I don't, palestinians he, he loved
1: always, the party yeah they were they were actually big my fa my parents were actually they were in germany at the time you know and but my uncles you know i mean like you know my uncles and far uncles they had like they threw a big party i think <laughs> they had more celebration of the Mars helicopter than nasa did <laughs> oh my god
0: so everybody came to uh drink tea and have the knefa. And yeah, yeah,
1: they were like, yeah, they had knafe, baklawa, and hundreds of people. I think even one of the ministers came.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to visit my uncle's house, you know. Now, Everybody's so proud.
0: Now, in terms, like, if we want to label this event, like, globally, internationally, scientifically, mm-hmm. space exploration, is it really going to change um space exploration i mean what's the significance of it after we get over the idea that uh, you and the team were able to fly something where as you said the density of um, the air is minimal uh, what's like what's the benefit what are the things that are gonna help uh, humanity or air space exploration
1: yeah i mean honestly like you know exploring space is not only about exploring space i mean it, it, we are pushing the edge of technology we are pushing the edge of science and knowledge uh, understanding the far and us understanding what's near uh, i mean a lot of technologies you know including you know the like you know some of the things i'm using right now like the phone the gps all of this stuff came from space exploration solar panel space explore, you know space you know made for satellite you know, I mean GPS its came from you know when when the Russian launched the first satellite you know to American radio geeks you know figured it out invented GPS so a lot of the like the, the, so this is really one aspect what it brings us to Earth you know mm-hmm. also understanding climate change on Mars comparing it to things happen on Earth could us prepare us for the future um you know I mean there is this notion as like we want to become a multi-planetary species I mean, it's great. It's a great, It's good to dream. It's good to look far. You know. I mean, to me, when I even was a kid, I used to go to the beach and and walk and look at the sky, look at the stars. And like people's like, "What are you just love love the stars?" Like, no, just give. Them, when we dream, we look up. You know. So you're right. It's you know, you know. So I mean, to me, this is this is really the significant space exploration. I mean, when you go to the moon and you look back at Earth, it's like, oh, you don't see borders. You don't see. You just see one blue planet, you know, I mean, it's like it's just one, you know. And so, I mean, like these things, like I think it help us at all different dimensions from like awareness to understanding to an advancement of science and knowledge that actually help us in everyday life. I mean, a lot of people don't see it, but, you know, because like it's hard to correlate. Yes, every technology we basically use. It's just because we're pushing the limit to make it somewhere, to make something possible. I mean, flying on Mars, it could help us to fly in top of the Himalayas or fly planes of higher altitude than Earth. So a lot of the knowledge is the same, you know, so.
0: But you are uh, pushing it, I guess, and uh, keep trying. I I agree with you because I just uh, leased a new car and it's a downgrade from my car that I had before. Uh, Maybe I'll just mention the first one was a German and this one was Korean. And I am absolutely amazed at the smoothness of moving from Apple Play to the navigation Uh, to Mm -hmm. the a million things in front of me. And I was asking my brother, is it like what, uh, you know, the German versus the Korean car? And he says, no, maybe the technology. So I'm thinking in three years, technology can really advance in a simple matter, like um, going uh, Mm -hmm. in your navigation from one place to the other. But I agree with you. Probably there are so many things that we don't know um mm-hmm. how much uh, NASA exploration or the fact that you had to create this little uh, helicopter? So, mm-hmm. Go ahead.
1: So, yeah, NASA have something they call technology. So m- most people aren't aware of this, but like NASA have a, what they call a technology transfer program. So back when first initially they funded NASA, all the IPs, all the technology, all the patents... You know anything like NASA come up with it can be used for civilian use as well like to, like to help you as company so you know and so like there is this like what they call the NASA spin-off program mm. so a lot of this technology we invent in space is actually and, like it's like if it could be transferred and used like in the in the in the commercial and for the advancing humanity especially like to the US company so a lot of time you know I mean you probably seen in TV <laughs> We were like, oh, like this mat- the foam memory foam matters was invented by Na- like for NASA mm. astronaut technology. So I mean, this is just like you know you probably hear you know so so, so a lot of time these things happen. They come back to us to help us.
0: Please tell me they are inventing something about diet and about the loss of fat and building muscles don't they care about these things when they go to space
1: we actually do do study a lot of this like the diets and for, so there is a lot of research in the international space station related to food and diet and how we you know how we can like survive in certain nutritions. i mean i even believe like uh, one of these algae like supplement like mm-hmm. spirulina actually was originally studied for the oh. Russian space program and have all these nutrition because they figure out so like how can we grow something that keep our astronaut healthy. So, so there is a lot of things. It's kind of hard to keep track, okay. but it's like instead of having research because you know there is issue sometimes with research. Just research for the sake of research, you don't know where you're heading. Mm-hmm. But when you have a goal like let's reach the moon. Then okay. we can invent, navigate. We have a goal. We have a target. You know, yeah. the same thing when we go to the moon, we go to Mars. Like you know, like we try to like solve the what happened along the way and that creates innovation, that create Versus like, it's a funny thing is like most people think, yes, you come up with an idea and invent it. A lot of times it's just like painting a painting, like an artist. Maybe artists will understand this. Sometimes they don't know what they're painting until it's finished, you know, because it's like it keeps changing as they're doing it. And that's how innovation happens. You know, it's like you need to start doing something. And along the way, you start discovering, learning more about the science. What else can we do?
0: I want to ask you, Luay, about something because uh, on your uh, website and the website of Luay, L-O-A-Y, Basuni, E-L-B-A-S-Y-O-N-I, Apostrophe S, but I'm going to be putting it on uh, maybe uh, the website later on. You mentioned that you do uh, public speaking or uh, maybe Mm -hmm. motivational speaking. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Did you get a chance, for instance, to go back home uh, and talk to young people or to the Arab world or all your um, speaking activities are here Mm -hmm. in the U.S.?
1: No, so I mean I haven't been to Palestine for about twenty three years, but I do. I mean I I I I mean I recently went to Dubai. I give a talk there. I actually yesterday, or actually Monday, I give a talk at the U.S. Embassy for the American House, which is by the State Department, where I'm. That they actually about to motivate like you know twelve to fifteen years old. I mean I get a lot of messages from people like that. I inspire them, you know, from not only from Palestine, I mean, as far, I mean, I have people in Bangladesh in Malaysia and in Indonesia. I give talks online. I mean, my story came out in COVID. So I did a lot of things online. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I did several, I do several, I did a lot of talks also in person. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm open to everywhere. I think it is inspiring to be like, you know, coming from a refugee. I think a lot of people find it very inspiring Um
0: Yes, actually, so, yeah. um, I wanted to play uh, the, um, the UN uh, exhibits. It's part. Of, mm-hmm. uh, it's a channel that uh, the UN has, uh, I think, on uh, um, on people uh, like who were able to overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Difficult situations. It's very interesting, but my problem: if I play it, you're not going to be listening to it. Uh, so maybe what I will do uh, is play it uh, towards uh, the end. But very fascinating mm-hmm. uh, story. I, I'm I'm am dying to ask you this question. Once you mentioned that NASA uh, is uh, giving uh, uh, all this information that for people to develop and businesses, have you come up with a new ad- business adventure and venture, or you're stuck with? just um, working for companies i mean did you create your own company
1: no, I'm, i am working on it
0: you know i should <laughs> okay. say this publicly my boss might listen to okay, this okay <laughs> no no we're not gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> <It's> okay, <laughs> so uh, okay uh, but any projects you're working on i mean this team must be very yeah. very uh, looking forward yeah, actually, to do something
1: yeah i'm right now i'm i i am a, i'm the I'm a manager I manage the avionic group for rocket engines so i'm I'm working on several rocket engines you know one of them actually you know which is like the first stage second stage and third stage which is probably to launch us into space and also land us on the moon so actually I'm working on the you know I'm working right now for blue origin i mean I cannot talk too much about that but mm-hmm. you know it's been recently we won we won the lander so I'm involved on that engine for the Moon Lander, for Artemis program. Uh, so that'd be that'd probably be like transporting the U.S. astronaut to the Moon.
0: Wow! In Will, the future, do you think of ever uh, like joining the program to become an astronaut yourself?
1: I would love to. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: you don't mind doing that?
1: No, no. I mean, you know, that's Is it like one of my. I mean, if it's not possible, I will develop my own rocket and go along. Oh, oh my
0: gosh!
1: <laughs> send myself there.
0: Oh my gosh, yellow <laughs> That's one of my life goals. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I hope you're joking about it. Um, no, no,
1: I'm serious. Oh, you know, oh my one gosh! One day, one day, one day. I, one day it I might be possible.
0: It, you know? Mashallah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I I really want to thank you for being on True Talk. I know it's very early in California now, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time and being on uh, True Talk. And uh, I just want you to know there are so many people listening uh, online uh, via Twitter and people download these shows. And I'm sure so many young uh, uh, Arab and Muslim and Palestinian children are listening and I hope they will be inspired by you and become as successful as you are. Thank you so much yeah. for being on. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I mean, this is great. So,
0: thank you. Shukran Luai. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your time.
0: Okay. Uh, so, um, our listeners, I hope you have uh, enjoyed the, this show and talking with uh, uh, and listening to uh, my conversation. Uh, with a very interesting gentleman and I tried so many times uh, to have him on the show uh, before but uh, finally it happened Uh, okay you're going to be stuck with me for a couple of weeks my co-host is taking uh, a much-needed uh, vacation with his uh, family, so it's gonna be me. I'm gonna be preparing interesting shows for you. Uh, I have a couple of authors on mind, uh, on my mind uh, that I can be bringing on the show. Let me see where I put the email. And I just received an email uh, suggesting to us uh, some uh, shows. So if you have any suggestions, please send them to DJ. Uh, Note: True Talk at wmnf.org. True Talk, uh, wmnf.org. And thank you for listening. And most importantly, really thank you for supporting WMNF. Without WMNF, you won't be listening to such in-depth conversation. I went online to see how many uh, stations talk to Luai. uh Many. Uh, BBC, NBC, ABC, uh, CBS, whatever you want to call them. But few minutes, just maybe for the longest, I think, was uh, the BBC, which was maybe 19 minutes where the lady spoke 10 minutes. (laughs) She gave him only nine minutes. So without WMNF, I don't think we would have these in-depth conversations. WMNF Tampa, NPR News is next.